Hey, welcome to Gospel Rant. This is Dr. Bill Sinyard. We are still in our trek through Romans and calling it the book of microaggressions. Thank you for your feedback and for passing this on. We're developing lots and lots and lots of dialogue. It is a different way, a biblical way of seeing the book of Romans. Paul is not being like a PhD student and has carefully laid out his argument. I'm suggesting he's being a bit emotional. Um, still casting his argument, but I think these are difficult issues. And in the end, he's poking fingers in the eyes of people who are still very works-oriented and just aren't willing to accept that the gospel is as good as it is, the simple, uncluttered gospel. All right, so uh, we're looking at the end of Romans 9, the last couple of verses, and all of Romans 10. Romans 10 is a very difficult chapter. Paul is discussing something that is emotionally difficult for him. Right. Romans 10, 1, he says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So, I mean, it's his heart's desire. It's intense. And so he's not being Mr. Spock from Star Trek. He's he's being James Kirk. And that's observable. The Gentiles, he says, and this is the rub, who weren't even looking for God or pursuing God, feeling the need for deliverance, were delivered by God. And what a gracious, over-the-top thing for God to do. But the Jews who had been promised so much by God and who historically, at least humanly speaking, because we have the Old Testament, have been pursuing God, looking for deliverance, asking for deliverance from God, they didn't get it. Bummer. So it seems unfair and unequitable on the surface. And at the end of Romans 10, verse 21, Paul clearly blames the obstinacy in the heart of the Jews. Uh, And this is Paul Romans 10, 21, but concerning Israel, God says, he says, all day long, I've held up my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So literally, God is saying, and he's quoting Isaiah 65, verse 2, that he is still and historically pursuing the Jews, no strings, his holy, holy hands held out to welcome and receive them, but they oppose him. And that's the word is obstinate. They actually oppose him. They're disobedient. They're rebellious. They won't come, is what Paul has God saying from Isaiah 65. So whatever they were doing, the Jews, right, all of the religion, all of the ritual, all of the good works, tithing, offerings, all the identifying with God, all the God speak, the God explaining, the temple was still open when Paul was writing Romans, probably. Um, so, all of that effort wasn't just off base or a little off. It was disobedient and in opposition to God. That's what Paul is quoting God saying. Man, that is the definition of a microaggression for a Jewish religious leader, right? So stop complaining. Stop playing the victim. It's your fault. You're, you're, and it's not like you are ignorant. You're in opposition to God and God's plan. Wow. Well, one more point. These are ugly charges by Paul, ultimately by the Holy Spirit, because it's the Bible, after all, God breathed. And it sounds a lot like something that the angel of Christ uh, would say to the Revelation 7, right? Those seven churches in the first couple of chapters of Revelation. Don't blame me, (laughs) the, the angel of Christ is saying. It's your heart. It's your obstinate heart. Uh, Okay. So let's give that logically. But, but wait a second, Paul. The obstinate-hearted Gentiles are delivered. The Gentiles who are in opposition are actually delivered. See, 
not so clear that this is fair. Uh, it's not so clear that this is an even playing ground. So what is Paul saying about the Jews? It's not that they need to take a systematic course on election versus choice. Imagine a spectrum zero to 10, where zero you hold exclusively to free will and choice. So God can't make a move towards you until you hear the gospel and believe. That's the deal. That's the extreme. He can't intervene. It's like Star Trek's prime directive. If you don't know what that is, you're either under 30 or you're just not nerdy enough. All right, that's the zero end of the spectrum. Or 10, you're a hyper-Calvinist, um, which looks more like an Islamic fatalist, you know, as Allah wills. So you have no choice at all, and God makes you like a puppet. That's the extreme zero and 10. Most Christians are on that spectrum, not either zero or 10, but somewhere in the middle in their understanding. And so there's verses that would move you sometimes to the left and sometimes to the right. So Paul is not saying that Jews just need to shift on the theological spectrum one way or the other. We go back to the podcast on Romans 9. He's saying their situation is worse. They are in opposition to God, unknowingly, right? I think that's, I think that's fair. God says, come to me, and they think of a petulant child who refuses to come to their parent, even when the parent has a treat for them, and they don't come. So what should they do? Paul isn't saying that they need to do anything at all in this verse. He is just saying that their problem is a heart issue. And again, going back to, to Romans 9, that's what where God does his best work. He gives people new hearts. So they have a massive blind spot. Even though on the surface they appear passionate about their relationship with God, they have a temple, they pray to God, they worship God, they say prayers to God, they seem to pray, they do, for deliverance from their shame and guilt, for their history of disobedience and obstinacy a lot, you know, the pre-exile crimes of Israel, they're, even though uh, Paul is saying their hearts are hard and they're in denial, exile apparently didn't help, didn't wake them up. It's not only that they're not enough, not good enough, not righteous enough, not faithful enough. It turns out that they are inherently against God, unaware, and that sal- and, and, and the salvation that comes from him. So this is huge, massive, tragic blind spot. And Paul is, man, he's picking a fight so that they could see it. And that's sometimes what we have to do with religious people is we gotta, we gotta pick a fight. And so, it should not be shocking that even though God is holding out salvation and deliverance to the Jews continuously, all day long, for millennia, by the way, they aren't even close to being moved to just take it or receive it, even though a child could do it, even though ignorant Gentiles uh, would do it and do do it. So here's a monopoly example. Uh, hopefully this is helpful so both Jews and Gentiles are in jail, you know, Monopoly. And rolling the dice over and over isn't helping them because you can't move from jail. They need deliverance. They're not moving forward. There's no way they're going to win the game. It just goes on and on and on and on. And so now it's the Gentiles' roll. They pick up a card. Surprise, they didn't earn it. They did. They just picked the card, and it was the card on the deck, right? And it says, get out of jail free. And the Gentile cheers for his luck and moves out. He says, I was in jail Look, I'm free, and all it took was this card given to me. And it wasn't because I had hotels on Broadway and Park Place. I drew a card. Uh, the Jew on the next turn also got the exact same card. What a coincidence, the very same card. But he shook his head. 
she shook her head at a wasted turn because he or she imagined themselves to be free by covenant, special by covenant, loved by God by covenant, and so they weren't actually in jail. Big-time denial, and so they didn't take the opportunity to move their peace because they're not in jail and waited until I can fix it myself. But he resents the Gentile for being set free from jail and offended. So God has been holding out get out of jail free cards to both Jews and Gentiles and to receive it, to, to use it, to believe you just have to accept the gift and act accordingly, right? So you just have to move your peace. That's belief. That's faith. And those people will proclaim Jesus Lord. They'll do all these things because they have been given a new heart as well. And it would be great to thank the monopoly gods, of course, but it's unnecessary. There you are. That's Romans 10. The verse before adds this, as Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who didn't seek me. I revealed myself to those who didn't ask for me. So Paul's saying something that's fundamentally wrong with the Jews. And and I don't mean to be racist or anti-Semitic. I don't think Paul is being that at all. Again, I think he's picking a fight to make them see, to move them off of, of square zero. And Paul would certainly not be anti-Semitic. So the answer is no, Paul's not being racist or anti-Semitic, and neither am I. And, and I'm gonna, uh, we're going to say more in future podcasts, but here's a start. We get our underwear all in a bunch about the election free will debate here. And remember the spectrum. Where do you land on it? Are you more free will, but there's troubling verses? Or are you more on the God's sovereignty and election side, but then there's other troubling verses? Or... You toss the spectrum out and say, along with Keller and Packer, that it's not a spectrum, but actually two parallel lines, like two rails on a train track, an antinomy that meet in infinity. I mean, that's cool, philosophical thought. And by the way, I'm such a huge fan of both of those men. Uh, but, but that one's hard to understand and even harder to explain. Now, my suggestion for you podcast l- listeners to kick around, play with, right, respond back on and I'll build on this in the next Gospel Rant podcast, is that is this. Paul's context is Jewish, right? Uh, my, my late New Testament professor, Gordon Fee, a Pauline scholar, said Paul was 100% Jewish in his mindset and approach and theology. He didn't have a Greek bone in his body, Fee said, and I miss Dr. Fee. So the Old Testament view, the Jewish view, is helpful here. Our context to read Romans 8, 7, 8, 9, 10 is, is 100% Jewish. So in Romans 10, 6 to 7, Paul is quoting helpfully Deuteronomy 30, 14 to 18. And it's after an extended ses- section in Deuteronomy 28 to 30, where Moses says that the fine print in the contract between God and Israel is this. If you want any or all of the blessings, and that would include the this promise of experience of a glorious relationship with God, to know his favor, to know he loves you, to know, right, and, and to, to know your relationship with him is sound. If you want that, you have to do all of the law, everything, every jot and tittle from the moment you were born, or, or I guess you could say from the moment you signed the contract, it doesn't matter either one, you have to be 100% and you're not, remembering God is a screaming perfectionist, humanly speaking. He's not a relativist at all. If you don't do all of the law, the whole thing, including including having the right motivation for doing, which is you do these things out of love for God and others, 
right? You love them with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. That's, that's a huge high bar. And so if you don't do that, not only do you not get the blessings, which includes an experience of relationship with God where you actually know he loves you. No, you get all of the curses and legally deserve them because it's in the fine print. Get a lawyer. He'll tell you. She'll tell you. So objective Jews who are listening to Moses say this, trying to understand, well, really, Moses, what are we supposed to do? Uh, We're screwed. We can't do that. I mean, look at us. Even Adam and Eve messed up living in a garden. What's going to happen with us living in a cesspool? We can't do this. But that's not how these people responded together. They said, we will do everything the Lord has said, Exodus 19.8. And again, we're going to talk a little bit about this next time. I think we're going to have lots of fun on the next podcast. Uh, what what could be another description of the purpose of the law given on Mount Sinai? Um, oh, my goodness, this will be so much fun. So don't miss that next podcast where I try to unpack the people's reaction and motivation and the giving of the law. So don't miss this. I think it's going to generate lots of dialogue. So Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 30, 11 to 18. So here it is. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. Well, clearly he's not talking about the perfectionism. So what is he referring to that's in our reach? Uh, see, we, we can't teach this. He, what he's talking about is you can do this if you try harder. I've heard that preached. That's just not, that's just not credible. Verse 12, it's not up in heaven that you have to ask who will ascend to heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it, nor is it beyond the sea. So you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us that we may obey it. No, the word, the word is very near you. Interesting. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. I mean, that, that verse is worth unpacking. We're not going to do it, but that's a strange verse to follow, verse 12 and 13. So what's the word, right? What word? And you mean I can just reach out and grab it? It's in my mouth, it's in my heart, whatever it is. Interesting. Verse 15, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live in increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. And if you go back to Deuteronomy 28, it's all, all and every. Uh, Verse 17, but if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, any and all, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods, any and all, and worship them at all, verse 18, I'm adding the all and any because Deuteronomy 28 does, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. Look, so Paul is um, indirectly reminding the Jews of Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30. And it sounds like perfection again. But and it is as a context. And by the way, because it's perfection, we're screwed. Maybe God is thinking about grading on a curve. No, he's saying he, he will not grade on a curve. It's perfection. And nobody, nobody gets there. Right? A few verses ahead of this, Romans writes, Deuteronomy 30, and when you and your children return to the Lord, your God, and obey him with all your heart, with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, there it is, then he's going to bless you. That means we're going to fail. <laughs> Let's face it. We 
are going to fail. So how is anyone saved? How is anyone rescued? How is anyone delivered? How do we Jews end up in the loving arms of God, drenched in his favor and adoration? Because we're going to mess this up. Deuteronomy verse six, uh, 30 verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts. Circumcise your hearts. That's what happens with a eight-day-old. It enters them in the family of God. God is going to do that in the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all of your heart, with all your soul, and live. So God is going to do something above and beyond your free will. He's going to reach down and give you a new heart. And that new heart changes your motivation for behavior. So what is the plan? And this is Romans 9 and 10. Is it free will or is it God's sovereignty and election? Well, neither and both. So here's the Old Testament version. Since Adam and Eve, we are all born with a bent to rebel, to be obstinate, to be disobedient, right? Just like the Jews, to look for love in all the wrong places on our own, to not depend upon God. It's not a Jewish thing, not at all. It's a human thing. We all share this. So our free will isn't so free because everybody does it. It wants what it wants, and often for selfish reasons, but my free will has got me in big-time trouble. It is rebellious and obstinate. My free will isn't free. It's rebellious and obstinate. If I could just look around my blind... By the way, it has blind spots. That'll tell you something. So if I don't... It, 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 let me see. It doesn't have the capability, my free will, to get me out of trouble or to earn deliverance. I've already blown the perfection clause... It just doesn't. And even if I want to imagine that what what the Bible is talking about, that I need to be perfect perfect from this point on, go. Oh, wait, not now. Maybe Tuesday. Uh, well, okay, maybe next week, maybe next month. And I am going to blow it every day. So, yeah, the, the, the free will side of the spectrum has big issues. What about this God's sovereignty side of the spectrum, election? Well, again, yes and no, but there's all kind of troubles based upon how we describe this, what God does is he reaches down, stepping all over my free will, and what he does, he gives me a new heart. That's the God's sovereignty part, is he actually gives me a new heart. And this heart is so different than my shriveled, hard, raisin, self-focused, empty and needy, crushed heart, with all of the battering and bruises and critical voices, uh, all of those things. He gives me a new heart, and this new heart actually loves God and loves others a little bit, a lot more than the old piece of junk heart. And my this new heart, which he gave me, I, I, right? I'm not responsible for it. He gave it to me, has a new capacity to actually love God, but also to experience love from God a little. My traumatized old heart struggles with relationships because nothing has hurt it as much as relationships. Lots and lots of boundaries. I got a chuckle out of all of those books on how to create boundaries. Man, we are real. Our heart, our brain is an expert on the topic of boundaries. So God doesn't just choose. He actually does an operation on me. Again, over the complaints of my supposed free will, because I'm definitely not seeking that he come down and change me. I'm not seeking a new heart. I just want God to elect me. Uh, take me in as I am, and, and right, and then I can just work harder to fix myself. So often, uh, people who believe in God's sovereignty really begin to sound like people who begin to 
believe in free will and, and vice versa. But the Old Testament context says God actually has to give regular human beings, Jews and Gentiles, new hearts to change our motivations because that's our problem. We're rebellious and obstinate. So this new heart is less obstinate and less desirous of rebelling against God. Perfect in heaven, this side of heaven, is it's a little bit. In fact, this new heart that God gave me when I wasn't looking loves God significantly more, not perfect. And it also feels God's love a little bit more. And that's a fruit of the spirit of my inner being, Paul writes in the Ephesian letter. So graphically, uh, for you visual people, let's change the free will God sovereignty spectrum, right, the zero to 10 to show this operation. So think of a box that hovers above the free will sovereignty spectrum with arrows that point up and down to it. It isn't even on the spectrum and it's accessible to anyone on the spectrum, no matter where you reasonably land on the spectrum. And because we all depend upon God giving us new hearts, hearts that love and can be loved. And up until that time, no matter where you are on that spectrum, with beat up PTSD hearts that can't or won't love God, you are to some degree rebellious and obstinate. So Romans 10, many Gentiles are given that operation, not all. And it's not like they went, "Um, okay, uh, I'm open on June 2nd. Nope. God just comes down, gives them a new heart. And those Gentiles follow Jesus now, not perfectly, but they are feeling loved by God and are loving God in response. And even they are surprised by the change and their family is surprised by the change because as Paul said, they weren't pursuing God. I'm one of those. And many Jews still think that they can manage with their old shriveled PTSD, raisin hearts and just try harder, just worship more, just move back and forth on that zero to 10 spectrum. But both Gentiles and Jews need this same new heart, and new hearts come only from God, superfluous to anyone's pursuit of God. Those with new hearts will run into God's arms uh, with righteousness and faith. They'll say, Lord Jesus, right? They'll proclaim with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, because that's what their new heart does by nature. It just will. Does that help? Well, uh Respond, pass this on to uh, small groups. I mean, there's lots of fodder here for dialogue and discussion and disagreement. And uh, yeah, so, so give it a shot and give us some feedback uh, at, at uh, bill at gospel-app.com. All right, we'll see you next time. Take heart, child of God. A powerful prayer life does not require hiking a mountain to be able to hear from God. God can meet us right in the middle of our busy lives to help, guide, and speak to us through prayer. I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical teaching and encouragement on how you can make prayer a natural and consistent part of your everyday life. I promise it won't require hiking a mountain, but you just might develop the faith to move one. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.